0: Light came unplugged. That's awesome. That's okay. Good morning. Very glad to be with you this morning and uh, have the opportunity to preach. Uh, Always a blessing for sure. Um, So let's jump right in. Turn to James chapter one, please. We're going to start in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness, steadfastness have its full effect So really light passage this morning, uh, nice, easy stuff for us to chew on. Um, James wrote; you can see at the very beginning, verse one. Uh, James wrote to Christians, Jewish Christians, who were when he says the dispersion. Dispersion is the you can think of dispersal Christians who are being persecuted for their faith and spread out through. Uh, the land because they were escaping that persecution. Okay, so you have house churches. You don't really have this because this was a huge target. Uh, so they're they're actually spreading out because of that persecution. They're struggling to remain faithful to God. Uh, and James has, in addition to this, some very bold and direct things to say to them uh, to encourage them to keep their faith. I've been teaching through the book of James with the teenagers and uh, actually picked up partway through after looking at some of Hebrews because we're talking about faith and works and what this means to live uh, as a follower of Jesus. So James chapter 1 really just kind of resonates with me in many ways. Um, What we see through the book of James when, I mean, we're not going to get into huge detail for the rest of the book, but I told you that he's very direct with the people he's talking to. He goes from calling them beloved and brothers to sinners and double-minded and, and going back and forth and really just trying to help them understand the struggle of, of their sinfulness in their, strife, or their striving to follow Jesus. What I'd like to do before I really get going is pray. Can't forget that. So if you could pray with me real quick. Lord, help us this morning to take this this passage and understand it for, for our daily lives. Help us to bring to mind the things that we deal with when we think of trials. Help us also bring to mind the glory and majesty of Christ as we think of those things. Help us not to despair. Help us this morning to receive your word um, like fertile ground ready to bring forth fruit. Protect us from guilt. Protect us from feeling like we need to work hard to do what we're called to do, but instead, Lord, help us, draw us towards utter dependence upon Christ and your Spirit. I need your help this morning. We need your help this morning, and we trust that you'll guide us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... Uh, In in preparation, reading through the book of James and trying to come after this passage, you know, just trying to think many different ways of how to approach things, at first I thought, well, I need to talk about what wisdom is. Um, And we will, but there's this phrase called paralysis by analysis. And as I kept going through the book, I realized there's so many things, even just in James, that he gives us for... Uh, wise advice and Lord willing, um, I don't want to take and just say here's a whole bunch of wise things for us to know and then go away with that and good luck. Um, I don't want to kind of say, bam, 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 this is what you need to know this is what you need to do and then leave you with scratching your head just wondering, okay, what does the whole having joy uh, in trials thing mean? Because right now this feels like a trial Um, So, I don't want that to happen. What I want to do instead is point us to how godly wisdom gives us joy in trials. How godly wisdom allows us to go through trials and understand what joy really is. Okay? Uh, Joy is not enjoyment of our trials, necessarily trials are just hard things it's it's not easy to enjoy uh, what I want to do is see how godly wisdom helps us to enjoy Christ in the midst of our trials he is the thing he is the one who is worthy of enjoyment who's worthy of our joy not the difficult things that happen in life so Here's what I want to do. There's three things when we look at wisdom coming in and helping us with joy and trials. I want to see what joy. These things, these points are not grammatically amazing, but they work. So, what joy is he talking about? Uh, how joy? See, it's not a full sentence at all. How joy? How do we do that? What does that look like? And then, why joy? Okay? I think that as we think through joy and trials, The hard part is wondering what the heck joy is supposed to be. Okay? So, what joy? Look at the very beginning, starting in verse 1 again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 12, go down just a little bit more. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. To answer the very simple question of what joy, i want to borrow a phrase from John Piper. Faith in future grace. The, the, the object of that for our vision is Jesus. Faith in future grace. Uh, turn to 1 Peter real quick, just one book over. As I've been teaching with the teenagers, 1 Peter is one passage that I've gone to, but also in Hebrews, where we're reminded that faith is hope in things not seen, things yet to come. Uh, when we think through our faith in Christ, we know that as children of Christ, we are already experiencing the, the fruit of being in the kingdom of God. But we are not yet there. We haven't experienced it in its fullness. So in First Peter, I love the language that he uses, and this just helps to clarify even what James is thinking when he's saying the crown of life that's to come, the fullness of our steadfastness um, that is to come someday. Uh, First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have the benefit of being able to look back at the cross, knowing what the cross means uh, because of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, his, his atonement for our sin, and the hope we now have because of that. With the teenagers, I've looked even at Abraham when God gave a promise to Abraham, he was looking forward to simply having a son and could hardly believe that that son would then become uh, descendants as numerous as the sand of the, the sea and the stars in the sky. What Abraham didn't even fully understand, with it, what he was looking forward to, was even you and I sitting in this room because of what Christ has done. He was looking forward in faith to what Jesus would accomplish on the cross and subsequently, bringing God's children back to himself. So we now, because of the cross and because of Jesus now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, we have something glorious to look forward to. Amazing promises from God that one day, when we think about trials, our tears will be wiped away. The, the sadness, the guilt, the sin that we experience now will soon Be no more. So, the phrase, I love the phrase that he uses, that we are actually living, uh, born again to a living hope. It's a hope that is living, it's alive in Christ through the Spirit of God for you and I right now. So, what joy do we have to look forward to? It's this living hope of Jesus Someday we get to experience fully in the presence of God. And that's despite whatever it is you're dealing with. So for some of us, it's, well, what is Jesus about? I don't understand. So for some of us, it's just that simple understanding that God welcomes you where you are. That Jesus is ready and willing to forgive despite your inability to shape up because he doesn't ask us to do that first? For some of us, it's daily life walking in and out of, of trials. Maybe it's, it's through work and it's family and it's everything and it's the hope that someday we're going to understand the, the purpose for the trials that we're going through and that they're going to end and they're not going to last forever. The faith that we have now will be realized in its entirety soon. Doesn't feel like it, but soon. Go back with me to James uh, chapter 1. To do this, we really need an eternal perspective because a lot of times through life, when it comes to trials, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about trials and what those look like soon, but when it comes to experiencing difficulty and trials in life, oftentimes we just get focused on that thing that's in front of us. Or at best, the hope we have for when that thing is gone, right? So when trials come, when difficulty happens, a lot of times that just takes our focus and that becomes the object of our attention and we get frustrated and upset because that thing is getting in our way. But really, we're suffering from a lack of eternal perspective—that—that uh, that looking forward to when someday we will experience God and uh, and Christ fully. Look at verse nine in James chapter one. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. There are a couple points through the book of James where he brings out this idea of the rich and the poor at odds with one another. Uh, This section of scripture comes right after he talks about trials and difficulty and asking for wisdom and really what I just want to do is help us to see that what he's calling for is an understanding here on earth for you and I to actually have an eternal perspective to know that whatever the world says about me the lowly needy valuation that the world may give to me Or whatever the world may say if it comes to the value and the riches and the importance and the hierarchy of life. No matter where you are, Christ has made us equal. We are now, the lowly has been exalted because I am considered now a child of God. And the rich, despite what the world says about how amazing you are the rich person. Now, has been humiliated. Not not the type of humiliated that comes with shame, but the type of humiliated that comes with with a realistic, just true understanding of humility of 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 being a servant of God because of what Christ has done. That the, I'm not defined by my riches. I'm not defined by the lack of riches or my neediness by the world's standards. Having a good, eternal perspective is going to help us truly be able to look to Christ properly. When I look through, we're going to get into wisdom in a minute, uh, but when I look through the passage and try to understand what kinds of wisdom there are, or what wisdom does for our faith, what I'm seeing is that wisdom actually comes in and just teaches and instructs us over all of the things that we're dealing with. Godly wisdom is a right thinking. Godly wisdom isn't necessarily actions. okay? Godly wisdom teaches us, helps us to think properly through the things that we deal with because of this true eternal perspective. Because if all I'm looking at is what's in front of me, not you, but trials and difficulty, that's not eternal. That's not It's not looking forward to Christ. That's looking at my difficulty right here and now. That's not godly wisdom. That's really earthly wisdom. Steadfastness. When he says in verse 2, we're jumping around a little bit, I know, so I appreciate your patience. But back up in verse 2, well, moving to verse 3, when he says the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Our steadfastness in faith is that dependence upon the grace that will be brought to us at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That steadfastness is what brings about joy. And when I say joy, I don't mean joy enjoyment of our trials. I mean enjoyment of Christ in our trials. So what about trials? Let's talk about trials for a second. There's a lot of them. And as I think about trials, I I think over the last several years God has really worked in my heart impressing upon me how am I supposed to understand the idea of suffering as a Christian in my daily life? And when I when I say suffering, I think I'm not Suffering. I, I just have a bad attitude sometimes. I don't suffer because I'm not being persecuted for my faith, I'm not being fired for my job, at least that I know of. Um, I'm not being ostracized in my community. No one is targeting me or my family for, to you know, to steal all my stuff and uh, and take us to jail. So I don't I don't suffer necessarily, and I, I have it good because God has not given me something like cancer perhaps like he has with some of you God has, has blessed me as far as I can tell because I, I don't seem to have it all that bad and that's not to say that that's really good compared to what all of us are going through but what I'm saying is that sometimes at least for me when I think through suffering I'm trying to reconcile what does suffering as a Christian mean for me as I walk through my really good American life. Because sometimes, for me, it doesn't feel good. Because I do have bad days at work. Because I do have disagreements with people. Because I do get angry, I'm just going to be honest, right, with people who cut me off in traffic. Okay? I get, I spilled my water before I came up here and got my leg all wet. And I was like, Perfect. That had to happen this morning. Who needs to learn from what he's preaching today? Um, So how do we reconcile the idea of suffering when really we have pretty good lives? And James helps us to understand that. James actually comes through. He uses the word trials. Trials. And he, he goes on in the book of James. I'm so glad that God has given us this because he talks to, to the people that he's writing to about struggling to obey the word of God. Getting in quarrels with each other. Showing favoritism to other people. Speaking unkindly to each other. I can understand those things. I got that stuff. I, I know what that how that applies to my life. So he's writing... To people who are dealing with even what we might think of as pretty simple difficulties when it comes to trying to follow Jesus. So now, I don't have to look at my life and say, well, you don't have it that bad. You don't suffer like a lot of people do. Suck it up. Pick yourself up and do a better job. Because what does that lead me to? Just working harder. And does that help? Absolutely not because I fail myself. I'm going to let myself down. I do it all the time. And so do you. Just want to make sure you understand that. This is the stuff that we deal with. So trials and hardship really means a lot more simple things for us than it might mean for a Christian uh, in the Middle East who's being targeted by ISIS. It's not to say we may not get there someday. So various trials and God's promise to give us wisdom is actually something that, that gives me hope because he meets me where I am. I'm glad that He, instead of various trials, he doesn't say something like getting your head cut off for your faith because that's just not going to happen, I don't think, to me. Instead, he says various trials. That means that when I'm at work and I have a difficult time with a customer, that falls under various trials. When money gets tight and you're wondering how you're going to get the groceries or pay the mortgage, that falls under various trials. When you have a disagreement with a friend or a spouse, that, or a child, that falls under various trials. What I want to do is talk about worldly wisdom and godly wisdom when it comes to these trials. What we need to be careful of, and I think sometimes we do this, is rather than asking for wisdom in trials, we ask for deliverance from trials. David did it. It's okay. But sometimes God doesn't want to deliver you from a trial. Sometimes God wants to use that trial to teach us. He asks us. He tells us to ask for wisdom. So doubting, he says... You might as well just not expect anything from God. What would a, if if someone says, "You know what, Lord, please give me wisdom," but you're probably not going to give it to me anyway. <laughs> really, what what is that? Right? That's that's pretty good doubting. That's really just assuming that God is not going to come through for you. Okay, so you're really not relying on Him at that moment. I do it all the time because I have this tendency in my heart to just think my. Difficulty is my inability to do what I'm supposed to do. There's probably some good truth to that, oftentimes. But God tells me to ask for wisdom, and He will give it to me. So, wisdom, like I said before, is right thinking. Uh, Wisdom, godly wisdom, is correct thinking. It's spirit led, it's saturated in the gospel. Okay? This, this forward-looking faith to Christ, okay? Wisdom from God is infused with that faith. Worldly wisdom is about self-preservation, comfort, taking control over life, uh, getting approval from other people, staying in power over my circumstances. I, I think sometimes when I think about the way the world tells us we should handle things in the way God recommends we handle things Um, often I, I think about conflict in our relationships because what does what's popular wisdom in our world today when you have difficulty in relationships and someone is getting in your way and making things difficult for you you're not worth my time I'm going to set you aside you're not worth my effort or my time so I'm done with you that's what worldly wisdom says. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to take over. I'm going to take charge. And I'm going to kind of put you off to the side. I'm not going to give you attention. You're not worthy. And I think oftentimes that's how we react. Whether we understand it, whether we actually say things like that or not. Think about, think about some of the last times maybe you've had struggles in relationships with people. Whether it's friends family members, whoever. We desire unity with each other. I think that's a common human trait. We desire unity with each other. We want to be understood, oftentimes on our own terms. We want unity, though. We want someone to identify with us. If you doubt that, just look at Facebook. We want people to understand what we're going through. We want unity. When we don't get that love, respect, or understanding what do we do? We react and we, we judge the other person for not fulfilling our desires which may have had very righteous beginnings but we judge someone else for not fulfilling that desire in us and then we give them things like the cold shoulder or we say things that are supposed to just get to them a certain way and hurt them. This happens in friendships, in marriages, even with your kids. This happens to all of us. This happens with, when I talk to teenagers in the youth group about their struggles with teachers and their friends at school. This is what we do. So then what happens is our desire for unity, our desire for true understanding, and the, the reaction to not getting that from someone else, Becomes the very thing that competes with that desire. We separate ourselves from somebody else. We pull ourselves away and we say, nope, now you are going to be an object of my wrath. The desire for unity with other people becomes division when we don't think that they're doing their job. It happens all the time. It happens in churches. But godly wisdom actually instructs us to do something very different. Because if I react and I judge you, I'm king. I'm in control. I'm the judge. Turn to to James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is where the contrast comes in, in verse 17. Where does godly wisdom come in and allow the gospel to come to to bear on your circumstances? Verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Godly wisdom that is just infused with the gospel, a correct understanding of my need for Christ, my need for forgiveness, and God's abundant amazing just supply of that forgiveness godly wisdom leads us to actually become kind and merciful in the times when the world might say the best thing to do is to shore up and fight godly wisdom encourages us to be forgiving patient, pure, peaceable, open to reason. Practical outpouring of that would be willing to admit that I'm wrong. Godly wisdom encourages us to actually allow the gospel to flow through us in moments when the world might say, you need to protect yourself. But really what we're seeing is that godly or worldly wisdom uh, is getting—it's setting us at odds with each other. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. It's really just self-preservation. It's not okay. I need forgiveness. I need to remember that God actually says, you know what, this is why I died for that attitude. God gives his wisdom freely. That wisdom gives us clarity to really understand what's going on in our hearts. If we understand our sinful motives, then we understand our need for forgiveness and that's how the gospel flows through us instead of closing us up. I want to I want to read you a quote um from Ray Ortland. Um, I think I've talked about him before, but I just appreciate his, uh, his ministry and his approach. Um, because I, I just. It, uh, anyway, I'm just going to read it because this stands for itself. The mercy of God is about change deep within, a new world within feeling loved by God, feeling forgiven by God, feeling called by God, feeling sent by God. The most sinful emotion in all our hearts is not greed, not lust. It comes naturally. It's God is not merciful to me. God does not love me. I'm forsaken. I'm too guilty. I'm too horrible. It's all about me. How can God love me? He must despise me. Our escapist, Longings war against our strength of resolve. Think about steadfastness and faith. Our durability, our grudges war against our capacity for compassion and forgiveness. Our desires for recognition war against contentment. Our self-pity wars against our enjoyment of God. There is a battle going on inside, and it's a battle for our very souls. We can't accept whatever we feel. Jesus suffered on the cross as much for our feelings as for our actions. So when I ask myself, what does suffering mean when I don't have to go to jail for what I believe? It's because my trials are little opportunities for sin and rebellion to take hold and just wreck me. But my trials are also an opportunity for the gospel to come in and, and seek preach forgiveness for those feelings. Sometimes it's what he the phrase he uses, escapist longings, I just want to get away. So sometimes I'm tempted in the midst of my trials to do something to get, to to feel better. So temptation that comes after a long day of work, I just want to go home and watch TV. Right? Or a big bowl of ice cream sounds about good right now. Whatever it might be for you. And there are times when what's happening inside my heart is I just want to escape. I'm not giving God an opportunity at that moment to say you're forgiven for this attitude that you have right now. The way that you reacted in your heart towards that customer you spoke with. Sometimes we use our emotions as ammo against God and other people. There's a temptation there. That's temptation in the midst of our trials. We're tempted to, to escape. We're tempted to go kind of in the rebellious, sinful direction instead of seeking uh, hope and help from God. He tells us in chapter 1, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Our emotions can become things that we use to war against God when we don't understand what's happening and we don't want to seek his help. We don't want to ask for wisdom. We can throw up our hands and say, why God, why? Because I'm going through life and I'm struggling with various things and you know I'm tempted to, to you know, just get away from everything, get frustrated, look for another job, do whatever but the sinful attitude in my heart is not being created by God. God did not put that there. That's me. God wants to come in and take me where I am. He wants to take my struggle. He wants to take the weight of sin that is on me. He wants to get it and take it away and forgive and redeem and create love and joy in Christ, He wants to to bring me back to Himself so that I can be happy with Him instead of what's going on in my life. So what, what are you going through right now? What trials do you have that are putting you at odds with the people around you? What attitudes are in your heart, I should say, are putting you at odds with the people around you? Do we take moments to go and ask God for wisdom? Wisdom from God is has to be always rooted in hope, in what Christ has done for us on the cross. Yes, we understand our sinful desires. Yes, we understand our tendency for rebellion. But God wants to take that, and he does through Christ, and forgive those things. And he wants to give us hope for the future that those things don't define us. So, what joy do we have? That is joy in Christ because of his death, resurrection, his kingship. Now, at the right hand of the throne of God, we have joy in Christ as he rules over our lives and the fullness of of joy that we get to experience someday in his presence. How? Joy. Seeking the wisdom of God infused by the gospel not the wisdom that comes from the world that puts us at odds with those around us but wisdom from God that encourages freedom from sin that encourages forgiveness mercy, reconciliation why joy though because I think sometimes when we look at this passage or maybe even others and we, we think how am I supposed to have joy in trials why is that important if we're looking to Christ for hope in the midst of trials if we're looking to Christ for um, the anticipation of those things leaving us someday excuse me God is glorifying Himself to us, glorifying His goodness and mercy to us through Christ. So, the joy that we are to have in the midst of difficulty, when it has practical outworkings in your lives, in our lives, it heals relationships. resolves conflict it drives us to forgiveness for us you and I here today it creates unity in the body of Christ differences that we have are opportunities to show grace to one another Disagreements that we have with one another in the body are opportunities to be Christ to one another. They don't need to become division, but a diverse diversity of strength so that we complement one another. We use that terminology in marriage. Why can't we use it in the church? We do. Your differences between you and your spouse or even others that you have relationships with complement one another by the strength that God supplies. So in the church, wisdom in trials among this body helps us to understand that your strengths might not fit with my preferences sometimes but we complement each other. Unity. I, uh, now to think outside the church, I was at work one day. um, I joke that iPhone launch day uh, is like, you know, the walking dead zombies coming to take over the world. Uh, No offense if you have an iPhone. I don't think of you that way. I just want to say that Uh, (laughs) consumerism sometimes when I'm at work just overwhelms me. And the attitudes that many of us have towards our technology and and maybe even other things just, you know, it gets difficult to deal with. So when I'm at work there are days when I just, I don't want to be around me because I have a negative attitude about what I'm, I'm dealing with. But there's one of the guys that I work with, his name is Perry, on iPhone launch day or week. It's all a blur for me, but on on one particular day, I was having a really hard time. And I was like, this really stinks. I don't want to do this anymore. This this is hard. I want to be done with it. I don't like this. I don't know why I'm here. I never wanted to be here (laughs) in the first place. That's another sermon. Um... And Perry turned around and he looked at me and he and I have had the privilege of just being able to talk with him about several things in life. And by God's grace, there's just been a cool relationship with Perry um, where he's willing to just talk about spiritual things. Perry turned around and he looked at me and said, Matt, you of all people should know God's got your back right now. I was like, oh man. Uh, so there was one part of me was like, yeah, you're right. And another part of me was like, you don't know what I'm dealing with right now. But I had to kind of look at that and go, he's right. That's what I would say to him. My willingness to submit to the wisdom of God through trials in life, whether it's at work, or in my family, or wherever. It's not just an opportunity to be unified with others and in the body of Christ to be unified with the body of Christ, but it's an opportunity to be a witness to the world. And the reason why I say that is because so often in the Word of God, suffering is that opportunity to be an example of Christ. Christ. So, why joy? Because enjoyment of Jesus, despite what I'm dealing with, becomes a reason for other people to see what's enjoyable about Jesus. It's an opportunity for other people to see why Jesus is way more worth it than getting a paycheck or what's in the paycheck, or going home early from work and and getting away from the struggles. It starts with little things. The suffering of the church is supposed to be a peculiar thing. It's supposed to be noticeable. It's supposed to be something that stands out in contrast to the suffering of the rest of the world. So it is, in that way, it's supposed to be a witness to the world of who Jesus is and the hope that he provides. Um, C.J. Mahaney in his book Living the Cross-Centered Life says something, I didn't quote it, so forgive me for paraphrasing, but he says essentially that holiness is not one decision that changes the rest of your life. Holiness is a million decisions or a thousand decisions every moment of every day. Um, and so is so is this seeking after wisdom from God in the midst of your trials submitting to the authority and and, um, glory of Christ in the midst of your difficulty whether it's a bad attitude or uh, whatever it is as a side note um, what what I want to say is this that I think that for the church and, and over the last number of years it's interesting to watch the church in America and what happens um, it seems pretty popular and maybe it's just because it's online but popular online for people to write about what's wrong with the church and why people are leaving it and what the church is doing wrong. Um, the world does not see unity. The world does not see submission to Christ in us. It starts with little things. And I, I think maybe that's why I'm just, uh, I'm so focused on the attitudes in our hearts. Because it's those little things that lead us to be able to, to stay steadfast in, in larger, more difficult problems. And my fear, not not fear like being afraid, but my fear is that the American church is going to have a rude awakening soon. I'm not trying to be prophetic, and I'm not trying to make a political statement, but I'm trying to say that um, as a church in America, in the West, we understand so little about suffering that we kind of have to get with the program early And understand even the the small stripes from day to day because I don't think it's going to get better. Um, Call me a pessimist, but I, I don't believe that America is going to become some Christian holy land. So, what are we doing? How are we relying on Jesus to stay with us and to to lead us through difficulty and and trials? How is that looking to the world around us? Are we just firing shots at each other? Or do we pursue mercy and, and forgiveness and understanding? We of all people have a hope it's worthy of being shared to the rest of the world. Um, And I think that it's those difficult times that we go through from day to day and the attitudes that we deal with that give us those opportunities to do just that. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus Uh, Lord, it's my hope this morning that what we have seen is that Jesus far outweighs anything that we can give ourselves to, uh, anything that we can rely on for help. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. Protect us, Lord, from uh, following the ways of the world because, Lord, all they do is lead away from unity and away from... Uh, the mercy that you have given us through Christ and let us as beacons of hope exemplify what that looks like. Let us start by knowing that you come and you meet us where we are. You give us grace and mercy when despair is all we feel. Thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.